Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 14 of season two of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Good show for you lined up today. We're going to bring back an old friend of the program, Jeff Calkins, the sports columnist from the Daily Memphian and also talk show host on 92.9 ESPN Radio here in Memphis. We'll talk about the current state of the Grizzlies, and we'll also talk about the Jersey retirement for Zach Randolph, which comes up Saturday night when the Grizzlies host the Houston Rockets. Of course, we'll always have uh, that was the week that was and some PD's points as well. But first, we tell you that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you today by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. All right, Grizzlies, I've got a couple games to talk about since the last time we visited. So uh, without further ado, here's That Was the Week That Was. Monday night in Miami, Grizzlies going to sweep the two-game road trip as they take on the Miami Heat and try to get a bit of payback after losing wire-to-wire in the first meeting between these two teams back in October. And the Grizzlies do get a measure of revenge. They do go wire-to-wire with an asterisk. Um, Elias Sports Bureau says wire-to-wire is never trail, never tie. Sport Radar says never trail. Ties are okay. Well, the Grizzlies, uh, this was their fifth consecutive win. They were tied at two, and after that, they took off to a 34-25 lead after one quarter. Dylan Brooks, the highest-scoring first quarter of his NBA career, he would finish with 21 points at 14 in the first quarter. This was a game where uh, Jimmy Butler was making his return, took a hard fall on his tailbone, which was the source of the injury that had kept him out for a handful of games leading into this game, was never really quite right, took another tough fall, uh, and then did not return and finish with just 10 points on 4 of 13 shooting, only was able to log 25 minutes. This was a game that Miami wanted to turn into a street fight. Uh, They did that to the best of their ability. However, the Grizzlies had the biggest, baddest guy on the floor in Steven Adams, who put together a 17-point, 16-rebound game, seven offensive rebounds, for Steven Adams in this game. Got to the free throw line nine times and made five, which for him is a is, is a pretty good night. All five Grizzlies starters in double figures didn't get much from the bench, but the defensive effort for the Grizzlies was really good, particularly in forcing turnovers. Miami was forced into a season high 23 turnovers, leading to 27 Memphis points. Grizzlies would lead by as many as 18 in this one, took control of the scoreboard in the third quarter, outscoring the Heat 22 to 18. Uh, Good team win by the Grizzlies. Uh, 26 assists. Shot 43% from the floor. They were actually outshot in this game, but a remarkable reversal of fortune. The Grizzlies were actually plus seven in three-point makes. They held Miami to just six of 22 from beyond the arc. Grizzlies made 13 of 33 for 39% and uh, 16 offensive rebounds. So if the Grizzlies were missing, they were getting reload opportunities, and finished with 16 second-chance points. So the Grizzlies win five in a row. They do not trail over 20 quarters of basketball, and they get to 14-10. and 10. 
So they come home and they take on the Dallas Mavericks, a team that they had beaten on Saturday night to start the two-game road trip. And the hopes were that uh, maybe this could be a, a six-consecutive win. Well, the issue here is the Dallas Mavericks got Chris Depps, Porzingis, and Luka Doncic back. Uh, they had missed the previous meeting. Porzingis with a knee bruise and Doncic with a sore ankle. Ball game got off to uh, a pretty even start. Mavericks led it after one quarter despite shooting just 38% from the floor. They got to the free throw line nine times in the first quarter. Jalen Brunson uh, and Tim Hardaway Jr. accounting for eight of the nine free throw attempts in that first quarter. Um, neither team shooting it particularly well. Grizzlies would uh, open up a little real estate on the scoreboard. They led it 52-48 at half. Jaron Jackson Jr. with 11 at the break. Dylan Brooks with eight in the second quarter and 10 for the half. Doncic had 10 for the half, but only two in the second quarter. Third quarter is where Doncic started to take over. He put in eight more points in the uh, third quarter, and the Mavericks grabbed the lead through three quarters, 76-75. to 75. Uh, Grizzlies, their defense came unraveled in the fourth quarter as Dallas went on and outscored the Grizzlies 28-21 in the final period to take it 104-96. Uh, just kind of a, a disjointed night for the Grizzlies. Uh, they didn't turn it over a lot. They did not shoot well. They didn't shoot well at any level, just 40% from the floor, 29% from three, and 60% from the free throw line. And they were also out-rebounded by the Dallas Mavericks, who statistically coming into the game were one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA. Um but they did a great job with it. 47-40 was the rebound total in favor of the Dallas Mavericks. And they did that without using Boban Marjanovic, uh, the guy who was a major factor in this game and who had barely played for Dallas all year long was Moses Brown, 7-2 out of UCLA, played last year for the Oklahoma City Thunder, had a monster game. I think it was 19 points, 12 rebounds against the Grizzlies. Moses Brown did not play in the game Saturday night. Marjanovic did. Well, the roles were flipped in this game, and Moses Brown had a major impact. 9.7 rebounds, two block shots, and the majority of his points, seven of the nine, in fact, coming from the free throw line, and four of his rebounds on the offensive end. Um, this was a game where the Grizzlies were frustrated. Dallas played physical. Uh, the game got chippy, uh, and uh, the officiating became far too large a story for both teams in this game, but more on that in Petey's points. So the Grizzlies fall to 14-11. and 11. The five-game winning streak is over, and the Dallas Mavericks on the second night of a back-to-back -back, after blowing a 17-point lead at home to the Brooklyn Nets, uh, they get back to 500 at 12-12. and 12. So that was the week that was. So let's get to some Petey's points right now. And since it is top of mind, and it was a major storyline in the game on Wednesday night, the officiating, neither team was happy. Grizzlies fan base certainly was not happy. Dylan Brooks was exceptionally unhappy and was ejected with the second technical file late in the fourth quarter. Uh, the officiating simply became a larger story than it needed to be. Uh, in, in my view, and, and those of you who listen to me regularly know that I try to take the side of the officials. I know that they have an exceptionally difficult job to do. Uh, this was one of the games where you just got the sense that it, it, it just wasn't going really well for them, and they were probably having a struggle uh, with the ball game because it was getting physical, both teams unhappy, um, and, and unfortunately became a larger story than it, than it should have been. It was a good competitive basketball game, 
but so much attention was being devoted to the officiating that it detracted from the game itself, which, which is not uh, the state of affairs that you would like. Now, having said that, Dylan Brooks is getting to the point now where he, he's, he could be entering Rashid Wallace territory, where you are approaching the referees to voice your displeasure with too much vitriol, too much vinegar, uh, and, and he's going to have to be careful. He's got seven technical fouls already, and once you get to, I believe it is 14, there's, a, there's an automatic one-game suspension tied to it. And then post-game, he got to the interview room and made comments that I know are going to cost him an awful lot of money, and uh, it, it's understandable. Look, he was frustrated. The Grizzlies coaching staff was frustrated. The fans were frustrated. It was, it was, it was a rough night, but uh, Dylan is just going to have to be better about how he deals with officials and certainly has to cut out the post-game comments because it's going to get to be a very expensive season for him. Players have off nights. Referees have off nights. Coaches have off nights. Broadcasters have off nights. It happens. It, 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 like I said, it, it, it marred what I thought was a, a very good competitive game between two teams in the same division, a rivalry game, a game that maybe somewhere down the line determines who is a six seed and a seven seed, who has to go into the play-in tournament, and who doesn't. Also could determine who ends up as the division champion. Not that the division championship is, is the be-all or end-all, but still, uh, it, it turned into a rivalry game. If it wasn't a rivalry already, it turned into a rivalry last night, just given the physical nature of the game and how chippy it got down the stretch. Petey's point number two, five-game winning streak. Great. Uh, it was bound to come to an end. The Grizzlies have been dealing with so many injuries right now. It's really remarkable that they've been able to put together a five-game winning streak at all. And, and everybody wants to talk about John Morant not being there and what difference does that make. Well, but the Grizzlies are also missing uh, Zaire Williams uh, after coming back from a knee injury, turned his ankle in Miami. He'll be out for a period of time. Grizzlies missing Brandon Clark right now with a sore knee. Uh, Brandon says that uh, they, they've taken an MRI and everything looks good. It's just that it's sore and they're trying to deal with the pain and trying to get that rehabbed uh, to a point where he can get back on the floor. You know, you're, you're missing guys. Kyle Anderson is one of your primary glue guys, and he's had a bad back, and he hasn't been able to play. So the fact that you were able to win five games, and even setting aside the fact that the Grizzlies didn't trail in any of those five, it's a pretty remarkable run for this team to get to four games above 500 before the loss to the Dallas Mavericks. So, you know, don't be, don't cry that it's over. Just be happy that it happened in the words of Dr. Seuss and the Grizzlies should be happy that they were able to put together a five game winning streak. And now it's an opportunity. Uh, you've got the Lakers on Thursday night, you're off on Friday, and then you've got a, a suddenly hot Houston rocket team coming in on Saturday night and emotions uh, will be high in the building as that'll be the night when Zach Randolph's number will be retired. More on that with our friend of the program, Jeff Calkins, coming up in a little bit. Going back to the Dallas game, it was the repeat of a pattern that the Grizzlies saw earlier in the season, which is essentially their offense was not good enough to protect their defense. Defense wasn't horrible. Uh, the shooting was, was way off target. And the Grizzlies missing shots normally that they would make, and, and it was just one of those nights where the shots weren't dropping. They were getting good looks weren't going down. Uh, just 9 of 31 from 3 against Dallas for 29%. Not going to win many games. In fact, the Grizzlies have won only one game all year when they've made single-digit threes. Um, final Petey's point, because I want to get to the um, 
Jeff Calkins interview because it's a good one and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, kudos to Zach Randolph. He will be the first Grizzly to have his number retired. That will happen Saturday night. Uh, 7 o'clock tip against the Houston Rockets. If you are not able to be in the building, the jersey retirement ceremony will take place after the game, not before the game, not at halftime. It will take place afterwards, so you're not constrained by the halftime clock. Uh, and it's going to be it's going to be cool because uh, Rashid Wallace, Bonzi Wells are going to be there. Lionel Hollins is going to be there. Uh, Mike Conley, I think, will have a video tribute. The ceremony will be carried live on Bally Sports Southeast. So again, if you're not in the building, if you're watching the game, stay tuned for Grizzlies Live. The Grizzlies Live postgame show will be the Jersey Retirement Ceremony. Also, if you have not seen the excellent documentary directed by Michael Blevins from the Grizzlies and Grind City Media, 50 for the City, it is on YouTube. It is... It's so exceptionally well done. And I'm not just saying that because I'm in it, uh, along with Brevin Knight and Lionel Hollins and Mike Conley and Zach Randolph and Moneybag Yo. Um, it's, it's really well done. And you go back, and it really is a walk down memory lane about the career of Zach Randolph from day one and the opening press conference when he said, I want to write a new chapter here in Memphis to the playoff series against the San Antonio Spurs when – uh, the Grizzlies, as an eighth seed, took out the top-seeded Spurs, to the Grizzlies getting to the Western Conference Finals, to the battles with Blake Griffin, to uh, Zach's generous heart and everything that he did in the Memphis community. Uh, it, it's really amazing. And there is one very special reunion, and I am not going to spoil it if you have not seen the documentary. There's one very special reunion in there that uh, will probably bring a tear to your eye. It, it, it is one of those things, and I, I told Mike Blevins last night, when I got to the arena, I said, I laughed, I cried, it was better than Cats. Uh, it, it really, it, it truly is. And if you are a Grizzlies fan, you really need to see this. So that is uh, 50 for the City. You can find it. It resides on YouTube right now. And uh, you're going to enjoy it. I know you absolutely will. And um, if you really want to prepare for the Jersey retirement ceremony on Saturday, go ahead and um, watch the documentary. And it will get you all revved up for Saturday night. We're going to get to our friend of the program in a moment. But first, we tell you, hey, football fans, I know we all love a high-scoring game where the lights are flashing on the scoreboard. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. Right? I mean, have you ever heard of a 0-0 tie in the NFL? New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. Just that simple. Now, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet $1 on any team to score, and you win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one 800 Gambler. All right, Jeff Calkins, the widely read and respected sports columnist here in Memphis, formerly of the Commercial Appeal, now with the Daily Memphian, also has a talk show, 
daily on 92.9 ESPN Radio here in Memphis. Uh, he was a guy who uh, oh, was a little circumspect about the Grizzlies making the trade to bring Zach Randolph to Memphis, and uh, we talk about that, his memories of Zach Randolph, and the current state of the Grizzlies. That is Jeff Calkins, today's friend of the program. Jeff, first of all, I want to express my condolences to you and to your family. I know that you lost your mother recently and uh, a time of transition in your family because like 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 I did, I grew up basically in, in, in one home my entire life. And uh, I know that's a, a, that turns your life upside down. I hope you're doing well. Well, you and I have discussed this before. We both got lucky in the mother department, and that's a, a good thing. And um, And I was lucky to have her as long as I did. But yeah, we're packing up the family homestead, and that's always a little bittersweet so and it is indeed it is Thank indeed you. let's talk about this Grizzlies team right now now as we record this it is Tuesday afternoon Grizzlies played three and four nights uh, they've got Dallas on Wednesday night Lakers on Thursday and then the Zach Randolph Jersey retirement game against Houston uh, coming up on Saturday this team has played five consecutive games Jeff they have not trailed in a game uh, that's happened only one other time in the history of the NBA, at least when they've been recording play-by-play data, and they've done it without John Morant. What have you seen from this team that has made them so radically different over the last five games? Well, I think it's obviously, it's a commitment to defense and detail. And I mean, you, you look at last night's game against Miami, as you pointed out in the broadcast, they did not shoot well, um, but they guarded well. And I think when you have, you've got, Dylan back and you've got Jaron, you know, round as effective defensively as he has ever been. And all of a sudden this team that was, you know, one of the worst defensive teams in the league has been over this stretch, the best defensive team in the league. Well, that'll win you a lot of ball games with or without John Morant. And, you know, I think some of it, obviously John is not a great defensive player, but I think this is much larger. I don't think it's Jaws absence has caused them to, to be better defensively. I think it's, Jaws' absence, combined with the schedule, combined with Dylan's, you know, arrival on the scene, has also caused them to pay more attention to detail. They knew they had to win a certain way without Ja, and so I think the hope is is that this, when Ja returns, will carry over um, into the season going forward. I think it's one of those concerns that that we've had as observers that the team maybe early on in the year looked almost like observers and John do do something fantastic and and bail us out of this jam by doing something amazing, which he has. I understand by the way, which which exactly (laughs) we're, yeah, we're, it, 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 it harkens to the, uh, to the old Nike campaign. We are all witnesses. And and I think sometimes the, the Grizzlies players were, were witnesses themselves. Now you've had the long view of covering this franchise and give me your sense of Taylor Jenkins as a head coach, because you've seen them all come through here. Well, I think one of the really interesting things about Taylor is, is that he has, you know, there's been coaches at different stages of the franchise. And Taylor has had the unique challenge of having to, I think, very constructively balance growth and development with winning games. Um, you know, when Lionel got here, yeah, he was about growth and development, but it was time to win games. You know, Lionel never did anything really that wasn't oriented towards winning the game that night. And I credit him for that. I'm not, but you see with, with Taylor, both last year and this year, um, like the, the extent to which Zaire Williams plays. I don't, 
I don't know if if the goal were purely to win basketball games, I don't know he would be getting minutes as, as many minutes as he has gotten this year. But I think it's a particular balance that Taylor has um, been able to pull off and has done it very effectively. And I think you also see it. It is maybe more than any other time in franchise history, hand to glove with the basketball department. You know, there's none of the tug of war that we've seen before. And I think that um, is partly why, obviously, they're making the right picks in the draft and whatnot. But I also think there is a universal approach. Clearly, just some disagreements within it, I'm sure, but to to what they're all about here. And I think that has worked to the benefit of the franchise. I'm going to make a little detour here into University of Memphis basketball. I know this is a Grizzlies podcast, but everybody in Memphis is – pretty much invested in the University of Memphis basketball program and what is or is not happening happening with Penny Hardaway and his team. What have you seen with this basketball team and, and Penny publicly calling out his players? Well, I think that's – I just don't see how it's productive to call out your players like that. It's one thing if, if lack of effort in a particular game, you see coaches can sometimes call out players. And, um, but in, in the way that he has, I – I don't think that's productive. I think it's a product of Penny's frustration with how the season has gone. But I really think, I think the biggest, I would, you know, I, I think the biggest reason, it's not that there's not talent. I think it's that the talent doesn't have set roles, set expectations for what they're supposed to do. Um, and, you know, and, and but when you show up for work every day, Pete, you know, you're the play-by-play guy and Brevin's doing what he's doing and Rob's doing what he's doing and the, guys in the back are doing what they're doing. And, and, um, and, and I think that kind of definition, whatever our lives are involved is important. And I really think that a lot of the sort of back and forth that you see within the team is a product, I think of confusion about roles and responsibilities. Yeah. I think most players relish knowing exactly what their role is, what they're supposed to do and what they're called upon to do. And it's why, Anytime I see a coach that has a really wildly varying rotation pattern, it's like, you know, if the player doesn't understand what's going to come from the head coach, it, it makes it very, very hard to play. In your time covering the Grizzlies, you have covered the core four era. We, we both were here and have been through, uh, through that with the appearance of the Western Conference Finals. And, of course, the acquisition of Zach Randolph. Now we're going to retire Zach Randolph's jersey on Saturday night. And let's, let's, let's go back a little bit when – the deal was made to bring Zach Randolph to Memphis. Uh, it was not met with complete and utter acclaim. There were some who said, "Mike Heisman." Some. Yeah, I was the leader. Of, <laughs> I was the leader of the mob. Pete. <laughs> I was. I was. I was. I was trying. I was trying to be diplomatic. No, and, and, I've I've had enough mea culpas, and Zach and I are are good enough, Kali, uh, uh, whatever it is now, um, that I completely admit to it and. It's been wonderful to be wrong. I, what happened there was he had a certain reputation. And I thought it was one of the strengths of that uh, documentary was it didn't shrink from that reputation, you know? And there's a reason that he was essentially given away from Portland, New York, from New York to the Clippers, from Clippers to Memphis. Um, and uh, and I, I actually, I called the guys in Portland who had covered him and they had nothing good to say. And, um, and so that was the product of the, that, that's what led me to write, you know, the, 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 the column that I wrote. And, 
Um, I couldn't have been more wrong. And that it's hard to change your reputation. In fact, I was looking back at some of the stuff I wrote about him, you know, during the, the Halcyon days. And during that first playoff run, Rick Riley of Sports Illustrated wrote a column in which he said that Zach Randolph, and this is after the, a couple of years of being a very effective you know, member of the Grizzlies and having the years that he have and going to the all-star team, whatever else, he wrote that Zach had an extra punk chromosome. Well, that was too, you know, well into his reformation. And I think that goes to this point that it's, it takes a while to reform your reputation and you, um, and, and it's to Zach's incredible credit that he did it because he very clearly is, I think the most important Grizzly, if you were to, if you were to rank them. And, and as my colleague, Chris Harrington says, when the Grizzlies were at their best, he was their best player. And I think, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. It, it, you know, the Rick Riley comment bothered a lot of people because you're right. It, it came a couple of years after Zach had started doing good things on and off the court here in Memphis. I, I just think it's, it's the pinata factor. It's, it's easy to take a swing at somebody who has a bad reputation. Now I've known Zach since he was drafted in Portland. Cause I was there when, oh. when the trailblazers drafted him and I was there and I saw the reporting on the hoop family and the other things that Zach did that were, were not very savory and were very poor judgments on, on his part. And I remember too, walking into that introductory press conference and I'm like, I know this guy, he can be a fantastic player, but boy, is this, is this a, is this a gamble? And, and I got the sense, and I don't know if you heard this as well, that Michael Heisley said, look, you screw up and you're on the next bus out of town. And, and, and so basically the law was laid down by Michael Heisley, who made a living of laying down the law for, for people. Uh, and, and then Zach understood. And the fact that I think he fit the Memphis market better than he fit New York, Los Angeles, or Portland. Yeah. I think the fact that he knew um, it was, it, I thought revealing, like he said, he felt comfortable here from, from the get go. Um, and, you know, Mike Heisley was, he took other chances, you know, he, he took chance on Allen Iverson, which did not work out, you know? And, um, but that's the point. You can take a chance on Allen Iverson and have it blow up in your face or didn't really no harm done in the end. Um, and then you take a chance on Zebo and have it work out as famously as it did. But there's no question he was a perfect, perfect fit here. Um, and, you know, that those four, they're the, really the stuff of fables, you know, with, 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 with Mike, the booby prize in that draft, with Mark, the fat little brother from Lausanne, or chubby little brother. I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to be body. <laughs> oh, don't body shame him. No <laughs> body shaming. The chubby little brother from Lausanne, and Tony, the 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 member of the championship Celtics that they didn't want to pay, and Zebo, who'd you know gone from place to place to place. But of that group, you know, I don't know that anyone fit the city any better than than Zach. It was absolutely wondrous, and you still see it. Like he walks in to the to the debut of that movie and people feel exactly the same way about him it's amazing that it got like i have right here with me my little uh my little you know <laughs> my little zebo you know my dogs like to grab it every once in a while <laughs> and try to tear him up but um yeah he was perfect it what i remember about zach and i remember about that introductory press conference and i told this story when i was interviewed for the documentary i've not seen the documentary yet so i don't know if it made it or not but you remember in those days there weren't many 
questions that were asked in the press conference uh, for Grizzlies. And I remember Stacy Mitch, who was the, the media relations manager at the time. She said, look, you know, Zach, if you sense that this press conference isn't going anywhere, will you make sure to ask Zach a question? Right. And so I'm leaning up against the wall, kind of trying to be as inconspicuous as possible. And there was maybe one, maybe you asked a question, maybe one other question, and then everybody wanted to get, get their one-on-one interviews. And so I raised my hand and Stacy recognized me and Zach didn't, it never registered with Zach that I was in Memphis now. And he lays eyes on me and his eyes get real wide and he points to me and he says, that's Pete. That's my guy. <laughs> and remember, I mean, I'm maybe what, five years into my tenure here and people are like, right. he's Zach's guy. What do you mean? Is he, he's your guy. Which, which, what, what misadventure did you accompany him on? And I, <laughs> and I, and I, and I remember, I, I just remember it, it didn't really happen literally this way, but it felt like all the eyes in the auditorium were like turned around and looking at me. Um, but it's something with Zach, no, no matter what event I was at, if I wanted a picture or, or whatever, he would tell people, Pete's got to go first. He's my guy. Uh, he knew me when I was 19. And another story, too, that I'll, I'll just share with you, and, and, I, and I want to get your recollections on Zach. I remember doing a Read to Achieve event with Zach, and the, the young man who read the most books, his prize was to do an interview with Zach in front of the entire school. And this young African-American boy says to Zach Randolph, what's the hardest thing about being a black athlete? And Zach gave one of the most thoughtful answers you could ever imagine, where he said, the people who say they're your friends aren't always your friends. And, and I think that's probably one of the stories of, of Zach's life is that he let people close to him uh, take advantage of him. And I, and I think that that might've been, might've been part of the issue uh, in the early part of his career, but we've seen him now be a family man and uh, you know, doting, doting father to uh, a couple of uh, kids who are athletes. Uh, his daughter plays with team Mamba. Uh, and so obviously become, became very close with Kobe Bryant. So in, in your coverage, in your coverage of Zach, what are, what are your recollections of him? Well, I mean, that's exactly it. So you hear all about hoop family and you know, what a difficult fellow he is. And then he gets here and immediately his, his kids sit right behind press row. I spent a lot of my time picking up a pacifier and handing it back to, you know, and, and you're like, this is the feared <laughs> Zach Randolph here. And you're exactly right. he, I think as like, he seems genuinely happy to see me, which is not always true of everyone I've ever covered, particularly the way I introduced him to the market. But I think he is a really warm hearted guy. And I think people can see that him. Chris Harrington had a line in the, in the documentary that is um, lots of people can go do good things in a community. Not everybody pays MLG and W bills, everybody, lots of people turn out turkeys and, but when Zach does it, it's it's different because the people that he was helping could see themselves in Zach, but just as much Zach could see himself in the people that he was helping. There was no distance there. He was one of, like, he really was one of them. And there was a young woman who had a brain tumor who had a, uh, who, who had a night in her honor and Zach, um, presented her with a jersey with her name on the back. And this was also in the documentary. And as happy as she looked, Zach looked happier. Like he, he, he genuinely was thrilled by those interactions. Now, it wouldn't have made a bit of difference if he wasn't 
a double-double machine. Like it starts with the production on the court. But I think the thing that makes him uh, so beloved is is the fact that that is that connection that he had, not just with the city writ large, but that so many individuals inside the city. Yeah, there's an authenticity about him because as I remember the genesis of the MLGW bill payments, it wasn't Grizzlies community relations saying, hey, we think this is a good idea. You ought to fund it. It was, Zach, was there something you'd like to do? And he remembered being the son of an only, uh, a son of a, a, a single parent, not being able to pay the bills. And so, yeah, I mean, he was taking care of people who were in the same situation that he was in, in Marion, Indiana back in the day. And uh, yeah, I, I think you look at him and he is so incredibly authentic and generous. And uh, I always look at him as being a big teddy bear. I don't think Blake Griffin or Kendrick Perkins might look at him in that same way, but I, I think a lot of people in Memphis certainly do. Um, just well, that how- was part of it too. And obviously the fact that he, that he could be a teddy bear, but also uh, beat your ass as was famously said, I think um, also endeared him to the city, to a wrestling town. Let's just say that he was, he, he also fit in well, cause it was a wrestling town and he was our champion in there. And, and I think that's so important and sometimes overlooked in professional sports. And I noticed it in Detroit, both with the bad boys uh, of the late 80s and early 90s. And then when they won the championship again, that the roster reflected the ethos of the city. And I think the Grizzlies are at their best when they have players that reflect the ethos of this city, which is bring your lunch pail, your hard hat, and put in an honest day's work for an honest day's pay and, uh, and give it your best effort. And I think that that's when you really can have the connection between the city and the team itself. And the, the connection remains good, but the love affair with the core four and the success on the floor, uh, that still remains, I think, a high point for this franchise. Yeah, and that, that's forged in the playoffs, you know, right? That, that has to be um, – I, I don't think anyone's been more fun to watch, obviously, than John Morant, who's a, a different kind of talent than we've ever seen. But that kind of connection is forged in the playoffs. It's from those Clippers, uh, Grizzlies battles and from the Warriors with Mike Connolly. And that, that, you know, you'll never forget Mike going out there with a fractured face. And so, you know, I, I do think, and this was brought up the other night, that in a different sort of way, the Grizzlies, they have they had Zebo and Tony, really, who were so reflective of the city. And then, and then, um, Mark, who's from here, one of us, really, um, in, in a, in a re- very real way. Um, and so you had that connection then. But to go from there with very little break to John Morant, who, you know, just does a Nike commercial, which is, and he makes that Nike commercial, not just about John Morant, but about John Morant in the city of Memphis. Um, I think we're lucky because I think we have another another player who, you know, it's easy for Memphians to connect to, not just because of his incandescent talent, but because of the fact that, you know, that, that chip on the shoulder thing and all of that seems to fit. Yeah. And credit to the Grizzlies front office for that. Uh, he is Jeff Calkins, our friend of the program today. You can hear him locally on 92.9 ESPN from 9 to 11 on weekdays. You can follow him at Twitter, Jeff, G-E-O-F-F underscore Calkins, C-A-L-K-I-N-S. There is no U in his last name. And of course you can read him in the daily Memphian. Jeff, really appreciate the visit. And uh, I, I, I see I see one of the dogs is around. Is that Gus? 
Uh, no, this isn't Gus. This, hey, Willow, come here. This is Willow. All right. Say hi. <laughs> She's the mom. She's, She's the, the mom. mom. All right. Most loyal. Uh, He's the most loyal. Gus is off doing, causing trouble somewhere. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. Jeff, thank you so much for the time. All right. So long. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> the reference there, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jeff Calkins has uh, been a, a, a breeder and raiser of Bernie's Mountain Dogs, which are just fabulous dogs. And so uh, Willow is is the mom, and uh, Gus is uh, is the youngest of the group. I guess he has three uh, rolling around his house right now. And so uh, I've always loved Bernie's Mountain Dogs. My cousin has had a couple of Bernie's Mountain Dogs, and they are wonderful dogs, and Jeff has three of them. So uh, we thank Willow for stopping by and also thank Jeff for being our friend of the program today. That is a wrap for the Grizz Weekly Grind, Season 2, Episode 14. Really looking forward to the Zach Randolph Retirement Ceremony on Saturday. But first, tonight on Thursday, it is a date with the Los Angeles Lakers coming off a big win over the Boston Celtics on Tuesday. Should be an entertaining game. Grizzlies try to get back on the winning track. We'll recap it in the next episode, and that was the week that was. That and more on the way on the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.